John chapter 12, verse 36, 36 through 50. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to the world to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Can you hear me okay? I'm going to move this back so that I can look at all of you properly, square in the eye, <laughs> watching you. I see you. His eye is on the sparrow. Um, all right. Um, I'm so thankful that I can be here today um, to share the words of God um, with you. My name is Nidiaris, in case um, you haven't figured that one out. It will take a while, I know. Um, and I am a native of Puerto Rico, and I'm your new pastoral resident, and apparently your campus pastor thought it would be a good idea for me to preach the passage on judgment. <laughs> so here we go, church. <laughs> Praise God. Would you pray for your campus pastor, please? Um, all right. So today's, the title for today's message is, Would You Believe the Word of the King? We live in a day and age when the world of authority figures like company leaders, politicians, and even pastors is no longer believed and trusted like it was previously believed by prior generations. Think about it for a second. When was the last time that you took the word of a politician at face value? That's right, you can't remember. You cannot remember. But things haven't always been this way. By the word of emperors like Nero, many Christians in the first century died, burned at the stake, and eaten by animals. By the word of country leaders today, many Christians around the world suffer persecution. 
by the word of King Xerxes, a Jewish girl in the diaspora like Esther became the queen of Persia. By the word of King Cyrus, the people of God were able to return to Jerusalem after a 70-year exile in Babylon. And by the word of Herod, the Gospel of Matthew tells us, genocide was perpetrated in boys two years old or younger because he felt threatened by the disturbing news of the recent birth of the king of the Jews. What Herod did not know is that the newborn king that he tried to kill was none other than the king of kings and lord of lords who holds power over life and death. The king of kings and lord of lords. It only takes one word of his mouth for this world to come into existence, for likeness, for darkness to become light and for chaos to be turned into order. His name, my friends, is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he holds all authority. He holds all power. He holds all dominion. Nobody speaks above him and nobody speaks without his permission. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And nobody, did you hear me right? Nobody can move him from his throne. Not a hair of your head moves without his permission. His word unlike the word of many leaders today, can be trusted and believed because it never fails. It never fails. So today, would you believe the word of the King of Kings today? And by the end of this sermon, I expect the answer to that question to be a resounding yes. Amen? Amen. Unfortunately, belief has not always been the response to Jesus' word even when his truth was self-evident by the signs and the wonders that he performed in display of God's miraculous power. John 12, 37 to 41 says, When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn and I will heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Up to this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus had been doing amazing signs and wonders. He had turned water into wine, overturned the tables at the temple in order to cleanse it, healed the son of a royal official, caused a man that had been paralyzed for 38 years to walk, fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fishes, healed the man who had been born blind, and last but not least, he had raised up Lazarus after he had been dead and smelly for three whole days. That deserves a hallelujah. But even then, the prophet Isaiah would say that the arm of the Lord, his power, his authority, was being clearly displayed among the Israelites was being revealed, but they did not believe. 
the question that now faces us is why is it that they didn't believe? Well, first of all, John tells us that their unbelief was predicted in scripture by the prophet Isaiah, whose words were fulfilled when Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And the passage that occupies our attention this morning is partly an explanation of that statement of why is it that the Jews didn't believe. Second of all, Jesus' message was unattractive. It came in an unappealing package, so to speak. In verse 38, John is citing Isaiah 53, which is commonly known as one, as one of the servant songs of Isaiah. And there the prophet communicates to the Israelites that the salvation and the deliverance of the people of Israel will come through a figure known as the servant. Today we know that that servant is Jesus. And Isaiah 53 presents him, presents him in particular as the suffering servant who had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, one from whom men hide their faces. This was not the savior that the people of Israel had in mind. Because at the time of the incarnation, when Jesus entered human history, they were being oppressed under the rule of the Roman Empire. What they needed, or so they thought, was a majestic, a warrior king who will free them from the rule of the Roman Empire. Not a man of sorrow, experiencing grief, a man in whom men and women can find no beauty. Jesus' humble and lowly appearance made it very difficult to believe. Well, not to mention the fact that he did things like healing Gentiles and performing miracles on the Sabbath. They were expecting a gorgeous Tiffany's diamond ring inside a gorgeous box with a really pretty bow on top. And instead, what they got was the gorgeous ring, of course, but it was inside a plastic Easter egg from a vending machine. <laughs> That's what they got. But make no mistake, his lack of apparent beauty and majesty does not rob him of his glory. Yeah. In fact, John tells us that the glory of Christ was precisely in his death because in his wounds lies the salvation of many. I recognize that today, this amazing message of the gospel is made unattractive and unappealing by media and even by pastors, clergy, laity, whose character and whose life are out of sync with their words, which presents us with a contemporary case of a gorgeous diamond ring inside an Easter plastic egg from a vending machine. But please, I beg you this morning to take another look at Jesus. Because his beauty knows no end. His majesty is everlasting. So today, believe the king. Believe the king. A third reason why the Jews did not believe Jesus' message, even though his miraculous signs had made it evident, is that God in his sovereignty caused spiritual blindness and hardening of heart. Verse 40 tells us that he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn 
and I will heal them. I know this is really difficult to hear, but God's sovereignty, foreknowledge, understanding, and helicopter view of our lives is indeed a part of both belief and unbelief. And there is something about this mystery that the prophet Isaiah found really beautiful. In verse 41, John tells us that Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah had seen both, the glory of God the Father sitting on his throne and the glory of Jesus as the suffering servant. The reality of the majestic, earth-shaking, awesome presence of God juxtaposed to the reality of the Savior of the world being wounded for our transgressions, being pierced, being rejected, being spat on. He had seen both realities. Even then, I'm sure that he could not understand or grasp the complete significance of this message. But he spoke about it anyway. In fact, he couldn't shut up about it. <laughs> In spite of the fact that people will not believe him. He kept talking and the reason for that is that he knew that the words that God had entrusted to him carried in them the message of salvation and deliverance for God's people. And there was something he also knew. He knew that people were not going to believe him because God had warned him about it. God has said, they are not going to believe you. How is that for a ministry calling? <laughs> it's rough, huh? Yet he trusted God's sovereign plan and spoke about it anyway. He confessed what he saw. Do you see the correlation here? The prophet Isaiah was foreshadowing the ministry of Jesus, who spoke the very words of God. And listen carefully, he was the very word. He was the final word of salvation for all people, even though his own people will not believe him. And as a result of their unbelief, Jesus was put to death. But this is the glorious part of this God's sovereignty, is that because that happened, he died so that not only Jews, but Gentiles, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, from Alaska to Argentina, from Africa to Europe and the Caribbean and Antarctica, and wherever there is a human being, you and I, so that we could have access to the blood of Jesus Christ. He died so that today you and I can be saved. And my friends, that deserve an amen and a hallelujah. Because the blood of Jesus, he still cleanses, he still delivers, it is still powerful to turn things around. And that is why today we are standing here. It is accessible today. So today you can believe the king and be saved. In addition to God's sovereignty, there is also an element of personal responsibility to believe. Verses 42 and, 40, 42 and 43 say, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not, put, would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved, say it with me, loved. They loved 
the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Friends, this is the mercy of God shining through here. In spite of the fact that God had blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, some, including leaders and influential people, believed. However, their faith did not come to, to fruition because they did not confess it openly. Did you see that? Believed a private act, confession a public act. In contrast to the prophet Isaiah, who both saw and spoke about the things that he saw and believed about the glory of God. Many of those who believe saw Jesus' signs and wonders, believed him, and maybe even, un even understood what they saw, but they did not go public with their faith. In other words, we're having a case of undercover Christians in the synagogue. <laughs> you may be wondering why. Well, that's because they fear losing status and power. In the first century, the synagogue was not only a place where the Torah, the law of God, was read out loud and prayers were lifted up to God. It was also a place for social connections, for political activities, and as one scholar aptly put it, it was a place for the formation of Jewish identity. Thus, if you were kicked out of the synagogue, you were going to lose a lot of friends. In the words of Pastor Ben and Pastor Caleb, in the last couple of sermons, worship, my friends, is costly. And you cannot bypass the cross if you want to see Jesus. And that was a price that our undercover friends were not willing to pay because they valued the applause of men and women more than the applause of heaven. Let me just let that sink in for a second. Did you hear that right? They care more about what other people, about, their, their circle, about what their circle of influence will say about them than they care about what God had to say about them. May the Lord protect us, friends, from going undercover in situations that require that we hold fast to our Christian confession. We may find ourselves in work environments that are hostile to the gospel, where Jesus and those who follow, who follow him are mocked and persecuted. May the Lord grant us the courage to confess him anyway. Right. We may find ourselves in need of a miracle. We may find in a water into wine kind of situation when we know that unless God intervenes, our very lives are at stake. We might lose our job. We might lose our house. We might lose a friend. We might find ourselves in need of physical healing. May we have the courage in those moments to confess that he still saves, that he still delivers, that he is still in the throne, that he's still the king of kings and lord of lords, that we still serve a God that is able to part the Red Sea in two, that we still serve a God that makes manna rain for his people. That we serve the same God that opened the eyes of the blind, that healed the paralytic, and that was able to save those who were outcast and rejected. May the Lord grant us courage to confess him anyway. And perhaps there will be a day when we may find ourselves in the company of many Christians around the world who suffer persecution today. Who, are, who, die, who die for their faith every day. 
for the sake of Jesus. May the Lord grant us the courage to confess him anyway. May we never be, may it never be that the desire for power, wealth, and status leads us to deny the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God forbid that the desire for self-preservation, that loud voice inside of us that shouts, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. May, may that loud voice never Never silence the testimony of Jesus that lives inside of us. May we confess him anyway. Friends, the confession of our faith testifies to our belief that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. Now the question is why should we believe the word of the King Jesus when it is so costly? We must believe the word of the king because his message is of supreme importance. Jesus, verse 36 tells us that Jesus had been hiding. He hid, he hid himself from the crowds. He had gone into the shadows. Then in verse 44, he comes back into the light and makes quite an entrance. John tells us that Jesus cried out cried out and said he breaks his silence and cries out from the shadows he comes into the light precisely to illuminate the words that the that John cited from the prophet Isaiah this contrast between hiddenness and revelation darkness and light are John's way of telling us that we need to pay attention that Jesus is about to say something important in fact, these words that we're about to look at are Jesus' last public address before he died. It was his last will and testament, so to speak. So at this point, John's audience, which includes you and me, should be leaning in. Our ears should be perking up to, to listen attentively to what Jesus has to say. What was so important about Jesus' words? Well, you know, other than the fact that everything that Jesus says is important. But John 20, 30 tells us that the purpose of this gospel account is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Did you hear that, church? So that by believing you may have what? Life. Say it again. Life. life. So that by believing you may have life in his name. Believing is, is a matter of immense consequences. It's a life and death kind of situation. So why should we believe the king? We must believe the word of the king because the alternative, namely unbelief, brings judgment. This is the part that made me doubt whether Gabe was right, that I should <laughs> preach this sermon. The second part of verse 44 up to verse 46 says, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world's light, 
so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Stated, stated differently, rejecting Jesus is equal to rejecting the Father who sent him on mission. Because the one who is sent is equal to the one who sent him. In the words of the author of Hebrews, in chapter 1, verse 3, he, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. The exact imprint of his nature. Jesus, my friends, is the same as God. And part of his mission is to show us who God is in a manner that we lowly humans can understand. He came to set the light bulbs of our brain on fire by showing us what an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, merciful, kind, loving, holy, and just God looks like in the flesh. That means that Jesus is the light of the world. One summer, I remember during my college years, I applied for an internship in biomedical research. That was my former life, um, biomedical <laughs> research at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York City. I wanted to get my hands dirty and get some lab experience. But there was one small problem. I could read English fairly well, and I could write it, albeit with some difficulty. But my auditory skills and my um, ability to communicate needed a whole lot of work. It truly is a miracle that I'm standing here today. <laughs> Praise God. Come a long way. When I finally um, made it to New York, I was worried. And I will tell you why. I had trouble understanding the accents of different people and Americans who speak, as many of them do, at 100 miles per hour. <laughs> I was scared. But to my surprise, I was accepted into this internship, so I went to New York City. And then when I went into the laboratory, I was greeted by this really kind, precious woman. Her name is Dr. Barbara Birstein, and she was the lab chief. And Barbara knew that I had a little trouble hearing English and speaking it. But she saw a hunger for learning. And what Barbara did is that every time she explained something to me, she had figured out that I was a visual learner. So she would speak very slowly. <laughs> very slowly. And then at the same time, she would grab a piece of paper and draw things in this paper. I cannot tell you how helpful that was. Very complex and abstract concepts, experiments that I had to do became so clear became tangible, became a thing that I could touch and see, became so clear. It was as if somebody had turned on the lights in my brain. And beloved, I want to tell you today that that is exactly what Jesus did for us. Something unapproachable, an unapproachable, all-powerful God became tangible, became something that people could see and touch Love with legs and mercy with hands met the minds of ordinary people like you and I so that our imaginations could grab a hold, a small measure of what an all-powerful, 
God looks like. Wrap your mind around that. Love with legs, mercy with hands. We could see and understand a measure of who God is. That is what Jesus meant when he said he came into the world as light. And consequently, those who believe in him no longer work in, walk in darkness because they have seen who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. But John tells us that it's not enough to be enlightened and to understand. He tells us that genuine belief in the word of the king requires an extra step, namely obedience. In verses 47 to 49, John says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words as a judge, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Did you catch that? If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, keep meaning obedience, I do not judge him. And the fact that Jesus here is saying, I do not judge him, means that the right thing to do is actually to hear the words and to keep them. They go hand in hand. You, there is no divorce happening here. Hear and keep. Those stay married forever. In order to unpack this a little bit better, I want us to revisit verse 40, where John is citing the prophet Isaiah. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their heart, turn, and I will heal them. I hope you notice that there is a stepwise progression in this passage from seeing, that is receiving information with our senses to understanding that means making sense of the things that we see and that we hear to turning 180 degrees. That means repentance to healing, seeing, understanding, repenting, and being healed by God. This progression is the mark of a person who truly hears the word of King Jesus. This is the person who listens and obeys. Do you remember the people in verse 42 and verse 43 who believe but did not confess Jesus openly? Our undercover Christian synagogue going friends. <laughs> they aborted this process because they listened and understood but did not repent to receive healing. They listened and understood but did not keep obey the word of the king because of the cost of obedience. Does that sound familiar to you? It does sound familiar to me. We often fail to keep the words of Jesus because they're hard or because they cost us something. When we do, Jesus says in this passage that he does not judge us. Praise God. <laughs> 
That was not the purpose of his coming at the time. It says there that he came to save the world. But friends, that does not mean that we will not someday be, someday be judged for our disobedience. One day, you and I will have to stand before the throne of God to give an account for, this, for our stewardship of the things that we have seen and heard from Jesus, who speaks as the command of God and with the full weight of divine authority. And on that day, friends, I hope that when I stand there in line before the Lord, I'm standing next to Abraham. Abraham, who obeyed the word of the Lord and journeyed in faith towards the unknown. I hope that I can say how to Joshua, who had the courage to obey the Lord and cross the Jordan and lead the people of God into the promised land. And I really hope I can give Mary a high five. <laughs> whose radical obedience and faith to God gave birth to the Savior of the world. Can you shout a hallelujah for that? <laughs> Come on. This woman said yes to Jesus. Or teenage girl, actually. <laughs> Radical obedience. And I, I'm really looking forward to give her a high five in heaven. And I sure hope that I can chat with Peter. Who although after, he was discouraged after a failed night of fishing, he cast his net into the sea simply because Jesus asked him to. There is a word in there for someone this morning. We don't always do things because they feel good, but simply because God asked us to. That, my friends, is obedience. I really hope that on that day I can hang out with Paul while waiting in line. And Paul lost so many things, status, power, monetary gain. He suffered physical pain, but he knew something. He knew that what he lost could not be compared to what he gained, which is a front row seat to the beauty of the king in eternal life. Nothing that we have here can be compared to the beauty, to the majesty, to the awesomeness of this God we serve, to the beauty of Jesus. And quite frankly, I really can't wait for that day. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to crying my eyeballs out before the king, to praise him for who he is without the fogginess of sin in my brain. I'm looking forward to standing with these people of faith in line and give him an account of the things that I have done, knowing that I'm approaching a throne of judgment, but also a throne of mercy and grace. Amen. Beloved, although obedience is costly, it really is our only hope. Yes. Because in it, we find eternal life. So would you believe the word of the king today? We must believe the word of the king because belief leads to eternal life. In the final verse of our passage this morning, Jesus says, And I know that his command is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. We have already seen that Jesus' word, decree, his promise, his command, and everything that he speaks is identical to the words of God the Father. 
But that word commandment bears closer scrutiny. That word, scholars believe, is an allusion to Deuteronomy 18, where Moses is speaking the words of God to the Israelites in the plains of Moab right before they go into the promised land. Deuteronomy says, I will raise up for them, that means the Israelites, a prophet like you, that means Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. God had raised Moses as a prophet among the Israelites to bring about their deliverance, their restoration, and so that he could lead him into a promised land where they could worship God and flourish. Of course, we know how the story ended. They sinned by worshiping other gods, and as a result, they were judged for their disobedience with exile and alienation from the presence of God. Similarly, God sent Jesus to earth so that we could see and hear the very words of God, believe and understand them in our hearts, repent, receive healing from God, and drum roll please. This is the last, woo, yes, I love it, I love it. This is the last step of that stepwise progression we talked about, namely, that we could flourish in eternal life with Jesus, the ultimate healing and restoration. Therefore, beloved, there is for us in this passage a warning. That is, learn from your spiritual ancestors and believe the words of Jesus so that instead of judgment, you may enjoy eternal life with God. So would you believe the word of the king today regardless of the cost and regardless of the consequences? Would you believe the word of God in the mouths of prophets and preachers that are calling us to holiness, to righteousness, to justice, to loving our neighbors, to care for the oppressed and the least of these? That is the challenge posed by John to us today. Would you believe the word of the king? Let us respond to God in prayer. Lord, we know that we cannot believe unless you help us. We know that we cannot obey you unless you help us. So Father, we come to you knowing that we need you. We come to you desperate, asking for your help in obedience, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you will grant us the courage to be obedient. Grant us the courage to confess you anyway. Grant us the courage to be a light to this world, Lord Jesus. To walk in a way that is consonant with the words that we profess and with the faith, with the faith that we profess. We thank you for your word this morning and for your faithfulness. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen.